Well, we have a treat this evening. Um, as I mentioned before, I was on retreat with the lead team. I was not writing a sermon or preparing in any way, but our friend Andrew Gletty Smith, hailing from Abbotsford, is there. Andrew has spoken here several times. Many of you know him, but if you're a guest with us, this is Andrew. Thank you for welcoming him. Andrew and I went to Regent College together, um, became friends there, and uh, I trust this guy. He loves Jesus and he loves his word and uh, is great at communicating it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what you have to say, brother. Bless you. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me here again. That is not a good start. Pay no attention, yeah. Page one and seven. Yeah, could go really badly at that point. Um, as I was saying, it's a great pleasure to be here. I always enjoy coming down and seeing what you guys have put together. Oh, I've lost the peg already. Apparently, there's a subtle signal I have to do with that later. Um, but my title this morning, this evening, I just... Oh, yeah, 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 I know. I, I noticed I was doing that last time I was here as well in August. Um, is a deep dive into grace. Um, yeah. Um, so we're going to take a deeper look in, into what is under the surface of the word grace. It is a great conceptual realm going on in the first century word, world. Um, and we're going to dive under the water and have a look at, around at what we find under there. Um, when I was uh, 13, I did a little book project. I had to write a little book for a class in school. Um, and I chose to use the topic of discussing soccer tactics through the years. Um, and my teacher wrote on the end of it, well done, but probably more information than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> Hopefully that will not be your feeling about grace after we've looked at some of the facets this morning. And instead, um, it will enrich your understanding of how God is at work in our lives and at work in our world. Um, and so when Paul is going out and seeking to explain to the first century world the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus, he turns to a large cultural conversation, which we know through the shorthand of grace. And so Paul's letters are filled with this concept. They're filled with the words of grace and other words that are sort of cognates of it um, in the Greek of which he's used to using, and he uses it to explain how God has acted towards us, but, is, but how it is also a social dynamic that is forming the multicultural communities that he is um, creating throughout the empire. And so, hopefully as we reflect on what grace means, we will understand better how God wants to relate to us and how God then models the way in which we relate to the rest of the world and how we relate to each other. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're hoping to go this morning. And obviously this Ephesians passage is one of many um, that we could have chosen um, as an example of where Paul talks about how grace and faith and gift and preparing tasks for us to do all interact. Um, and we're going to take a closer look at how that world sort of comes together. The thing that we should notice about the word grace, or charis in the Greek, is that it could be translated in a whole range of ways because it's all about gift giving. And so it also carries the notions of sort of delight, goodwill, 
favor, thanks, blessing, gratitude, and joy. All words which make sense if we think about them in a sense of giving and receiving gifts. And so we're going to press into what it means to give and receive gifts um, as a way to understand what Paul is talking about. And these giving and receiving of gifts created what is known in the ancient world as patron-client relationships. Relationships that structured the society and which Paul then understood as being one way to imagine the structure of the church. So we need to begin by asking, how does gift giving work? And where else would you go to highlight this point than to Penny and Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory? So we're going to watch a quick clip of them discussing gift giving. Okay, well, thank you for that. But I got you and Leonard a few silly neighbor gifts, so I'll just put them under my tree. Wait, you bought me a present? Uh-huh. Well, why would you do such a thing? <laughs> I don't know, because it's Christmas. No, oh, Penny. I know you think you're being generous, but the foundation of gift giving is reciprocity. You haven't given me a gift. You've given me an obligation. Don't feel bad, Penny. It's a classic rookie mistake. My first Hanukkah with Sheldon, he yelled at me for eight nights. Uh, honey, it's okay. You don't have to give me anything in return. Of course I do. The essence of the custom is that I now have to go out and purchase for you a gift of commensurate value and representing the same perceived level of friendship as that represented by the gift you've given me. So Sheldon fears relationships, for those who don't know the show, and so he's worried about the obligation he's now received because of gift giving. And so the first reason we have for why Paul picks grace Gift exchange is a way of talking about the way God relates to us, is that it's a word which creates relationships. Gift giving creates relationships. And so in technical terms, that means there's a cycle of reciprocity. And the cycle can be imagined as a ball game, where the ball travels back and forth between two people. Good catch. That's about as far as I risk throwing it. I didn't grow up playing a game where we threw small balls to people. Hopefully you all played baseball or something more useful, but my only option was cricket, and that's just very boring. <laughs> so what occurs when we want to play a ball game of catch? Um, there's several parts we could break it down into. Um, so the thrower, or for our illustration, the giver, must begin or continue the game. The throwing, the giving, must incur in such a way that it's possible for the recipient to catch the ball, and it then must be possible for the recipient to receive a gift in our gift exchange. And the recipient must catch the throw, and there's a return that occurs. It is necessary for the game to go on for the ball to be thrown back. So the ball game creates a relationship just as gift giving does. So the cycle of reciprocity in gift giving creates relationships. And Paul uses this word to describe God's action towards us in Christ Jesus because it describes God's nature. God is fundamentally a gift giver for Paul. As Trinity, God is three persons who continually give themselves away to each other. The giving of the members of the Trinity creates their relationship and expresses their love and multiplies their joy in knowing each other. The mutual giving leads to them having more than if they'd simply held on to what they began with. There's some form of mystery that kind of goes on there. But there's a perpetual energy kind of machine that creates more even as they give it away. And so when the Trinity creates creation, 
they base it on the same structure. Something that is not God is shaped by God's ongoing creation so that one day all of creation will enter into the gift exchange that brings forth more. God is slowly drawing creation up into the gift exchange which the Trinity is involved in. And so to do this, God creates humans, image bearers, who will draw creation into the life of the Trinity. And so one of the things that we see there is that God's intention was always that Jesus was to come and to draw these humans up into the life of the Trinity. He's going to rescue them from a creation which is dying so that they can receive fully the gift that God intends to give to them. This expresses an important side note. The coming of God as Jesus isn't an emergency plan to make up for human sin, but the intention of God when he began creation. It's the way he intended for creation to fully enter into the gift that he's given it. And sure, our sin, our rejection of God's initial gift makes it much harder. But the understanding of God is that he wants creation to enter into the gift exchange that he is going on, the cycle of reciprocity, so much that he's willing to die on a cross and experience incredible pain and suffering in order that he would make it possible. So what we note is that the gift exchange has a range of people. We have a giver, we have the giving, we have a recipient, and we have the return. And an element that we haven't talked about yet is how the gift works. And so there's an idea about what is an appropriate gift for someone. And so obviously we have to return to Sheldon to explore what might be an appropriate gift. Excuse me, we're ready. You, no, we're not. Let's say for a moment that I accept the bath item gift hypothesis. I now lay the following conundrum at your feet. Which size? This one. Let's go. You put no thought into that. I'm sorry. Uh, this one. Let's go. I have insufficient data to proceed. Excuse me, miss? Yes. If I were to give you this gift basket, based on that action alone and no other data, infer and describe the hypothetical relationship that exists between us. Excuse me? Here. Now, are we friends, colleagues, lovers? You my grandmother? I don't understand what you're talking about and you're making me a little uncomfortable. See, sounds just like you and Penny. We'll take it. So when we buy a gift for someone, we're looking for something that can be described as a kind of fit, something that relates the gift and the person. So that means that we don't go and buy a baby a knife, and you don't give a blind person a car. Um, you know, our gifts are supposed to fit the other person, and we have all kinds of parameters in which we try to work out how gifts fit with the person. And so we think about things like practicality and interest, expense, the meaning between the two people giving and receiving the gift, and a range of other dimensions. But we always have this idea that there is a fit between the gift and the recipient of the gift. And this is where Paul makes a radical the theological move. Paul removes all sense of fit from God's gift to us. There is no sense for Paul in which it is appropriate for God to come to us 
as Christ Jesus and to die for us in order that we can enter into God's life. No fit. God gives his gift to the unworthy. And he does this for the purpose of establishing relationship with us as we are. And it's a little hard for us to grasp how radical this move is after 2,000 years of history and moving far away from the sort of reciprocal relationships that the client-patron relationship brought out. But society in the ancient world is glued together by this gift-giving. Um, it's fueled by the transfer of gifts which explain how people are to relate to each other. And in that ancient world, you have to be careful who you give gifts to. You don't give gifts to the unworthy because you're hoping to get a return from your gift giving that will benefit you both. And also you can be dishonored by your relationship with a person who is unworthy. And so Paul takes up these two ideas and they are used as ways to explain the way in which God loves us, in which God commits himself to us. So firstly, God offers a gift to those who have already rejected him. The re recipient of God's gift is unworthy to have the, have the gift. The, the recipient is someone who sh God should not be in relationship with. And so God risks further rejection in offering that gift. They've already re rejected an initial gift given in creation. Now they might further dishonor God um, by rejecting his new gift in Jesus Christ. There's a further problem that occurs for God in terms of it being inappropriate for him to give this gift. God is giving these people eternal life, a place in his kingdom. Um, and he's giving this to people who are in a dying material world. The person who is receiving this gift of Jesus' life is stuck in a world which is slowly dying and fragmenting. We could think of humans as being just sort of bags of dust. And God is injecting this eternal life which will go on forever into these bags of dust. And we've just sung the lyrics about God um, makes beautiful things out of dust. It's very much capturing that idea. And so the problem is it's beyond our comprehension to understand that type of gift. As C.S. Lewis likes to describe it, he says that we would rather play in the muddy puddle in our garden than go to the beach because we can't imagine what the beach looks like. And so this is the two aspects that Paul has God um, overcoming in order to give his gift to us. It's inappropriate for God um, to relate to this person, and it's inappropriate for us to receive that type of gift. And because of this, he's undermining the way in which the social order of the day works. The gift in technical terms is incongruous. It lacks fit. It lacks appropriateness. And so this is the second thing we learn that is really important to Paul as he uses this language of grace, of gift giving. There is an incongruity between the gift and us. And that is good news for us. Because there's something the gift is doing to us. It's changing us. It's drawing us into a relationship which is taking us to a place where we could never go on our own. We could never acquire this gift for ourselves. And so there is no rational or natural criteria which can be used to govern God's gift. No element of our ethnicity, gender, capacity, nature, moral behavior, social status, 
There's nothing that we can do to deserve God's gift. God's action towards us, his love is incongruous. So what that means is that grace is unconditioned by the present situation in which we find ourselves. But we'll note here, and there's an important little difference, that it's not unconditional with regard to our future. Grace is unconditioned by who we are as we receive the gift, but it expects that we will respond to the gift giving that God has done by giving some return. It expects some idea of change, of transformation. To think about the ball game, it expects that we will join God in playing the back and forth of gift giving and that we will enter into creation from that idea. And so this is socially radical as Paul wanders around the Mediterranean planting churches. The incongruity of grace means that the churches Paul established pay no attention to the social order of the day. And instead they replace the social order based on Christ Jesus, based on the gift that he is to these people. Everyone is now equal and they no longer depend on the wealth and power and prestige of that world to explain how they should act. The only thing that counts for these groups that Paul is talking about is that they enter into the gift-giving game that God has begun. That they enter in and that they give back and give on the gift that he has given to them. Now this brings us to a fairly unique aspect which slightly breaks the metaphor of gift-giving. Our unworthiness and inappropriateness to receive the gift of God and means that God has to recreate us. God's gift makes us new. It recreates us. And by that we mean that God's gift, when we receive it, changes us in a way that it brings something out of nothing. It changes our identity so that instead of desiring to stay in the mud puddle in our backyard, we now desire to go to the beach. And so God enters into our life and he changes what we desire. And he changes the way then that we act and express that desire in his creation. And so this is where Paul roots the idea of Jesus creating a new social order, which he calls the church. This social order that now operates in line with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the gift-giving people. God has entered their life and he's brought about new creation in their lives. A new creation that will be finalized when Jesus returns at the end of the age, but has already begun to live in them. This new life is bubbling up in their very midst. And so they become the symbol of the new creation to the world that hasn't yet received Jesus. So the gospel, the good news that Paul is so eager to announce everywhere over the Mediterranean and has spread throughout the world since, is the entry of God's gift into creation. The coming of Jesus as a divine ruler sent to bring life to a dying creation through recreating a people, a new social order that can live out this gift-giving life in the midst of the creation. So they become an example to the death, to the world of death, what it means to become like the life of God. And of course, Paul is the great example of this. And he's always an encouragement to me when I feel like I'm not living up to God's standards. When we first meet Paul in Acts 8, 
He is standing holding the cloaks as other people stone Stephen to death. And then Paul goes around to the houses arresting people and killing the early Christians. And Paul is convinced that he is important because he follows the traditions of his fathers. He depends on his cultural and social uniqueness. And all of this sets him apart from God. But despite all these things, God steps in and reveals Jesus to him on the road to Damascus. Paul receives the gift of Jesus, and he is transformed by the reception of that gift. He no longer persecutes his church, but instead his great energy and passion is put into planting churches everywhere he goes. So what we have so far is that gifts create relationship, and God's gift is incongruous. And because it is incongruous, God's gift transforms us so that we will fit um, to live in Jesus' kingdom. Now we're going to finish up the Sheldon and Penny story in just a moment. Um, but it should be noted before we get to the clip that Sheldon has soft, solved this problem um, of what size of gift basket to buy Penny by buying all the sizes with the attention that he can then give her the specific size that is appropriate to the size of gift that she gives him and then he'll return the other baskets. So if we could watch the next two clips, please. Oh, good, Penny. You're here to exchange gifts. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know I'm prepared for whatever you have to offer. Okay, here. I should note, I'm having some digestive distress. <laughs> so if I excuse myself abruptly, don't be alarmed. A napkin. Turn it over. <laughs> to Sheldon, live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. He came into the restaurant. Sorry, the napkin's dirty. He wiped his mouth with it. <laughs> Possess the DNA of Leonard Nimoy? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, but look, he signed it. Do you realize what this means? All I need is a healthy ovum, and I can grow my own Leonard Nimoy. the napkin show. Be right back. Sheldon, what did you do? I know. It's not enough, is it? Here.
So in Sheldon's eyes, the DNA of Leonard Nimoy is of infinite value. So his return gift has to be sufficiently large, hence his attempt to give Penny all the gift baskets. But when he realizes that that is also insufficient, he gives a very rare Sheldon hug because he dislikes physical contact with people. And so what we see in Sheldon is that the gift giving does draw him into deeper relationship and causes him to transform in a certain amount of a way. It's not quite the transformation we're talking about in the way Jesus' gift works, but it's close. So receiving a gift requires a response, um, technically called the return um, in the giving back of another gift. It's what continues the relationship. And so in the case of God's gift, the response occurs as a result of our recreation. Our identity is changed, and our actions are changed by the way our inner and outer lives uh, match up. They mirror each other. And so this is the sort of third aspect of what God's gift giving means for Paul. It's transformative. It changes the way in which people live. They live differently because they receive God's gift and God's gift empowers them to act differently. They've been brought into a different world. And so our return is empowered by the resurrected life of Christ Jesus living in us, which has drawn us into a relationship with God, and through that relationship draws us into the activities of God's family. So we become people who seek out worshiping to give thanks to God. We pray, we read scripture, we share together. We, we become filled with the thankfulness and gratitude and joy which comes from being part of that family. But the other part of the return that occurs is that we also take our place in the church as part of God's mission. And so Paul understands the way in which the church is going to work as being this big space in which the big gift of God, Christ Jesus, is made known as we share our gifts with each other and those outside the immediate church community. And I suspect that we don't get all the gifts in each of us and that we don't um, I suspect that we don't get all the gifts in order for God to have an opportunity to teach us how creation works, that creation is relational, that we need to share among ourselves to have all the gifts. And so when we gather on Sundays, someone comes and they decorate, someone prepares the music, someone works the technology, someone welcomes newcomers, someone prays, someone reads scripture, someone speaks, Someone makes coffee, someone will make dinner. Our children will have community provided by people. And we share in sharing wise counsel and sharing our weeks with people that we've met over our time together. We all bring gifts to this environment which enrich what is going on. And none of it would be as good if we tried to do it on our own or if just one person ran the show. We all have a responsibility to bring something that God has given as we gather to worship and be family together. And of course, this pattern continues as we scatter throughout the week. It just gets a little harder to describe. We continue to be a support and encouragement to each other and to those we meet as we pass on the gift that God has placed within our lives. And so what happens in our mission is that the watching world gets to see how we've been changed by the life of Christ entering in, how the reception of the gift has made us different and has now given us gifts that allow us to give back 
to the world. Allows us to give back in a way which surprises people who are living in a mindset of scarcity where they're trying to hold on to things. There's some mystery here that just like in the Trinity where they have more as they give themselves away to each other, we end up with more as we give away the things that Jesus has given us. We take up our place in that never-ending cycle of reciprocity. And so the question that should always be at the back of our mind is where is the Spirit showing us that we have to give now? And so there's a problem if we attempt to keep God's gift just for ourselves. If we attempt to store the gift, we actually miss out on the way the gift creates community for us. And so this is Finn, my dog. He's pretty cute. Um, and he has a great dog beard, um, which is very in trend at the moment. Um, now, Finn is a cautionary tale. He loves his ball. And he loves playing the ball games that come between a dog and his owner. He will carry it around. He chews it. He fetches it. If I sit on the couch to watch football, he will bring me the ball in the hope that I will chuck it off. And so frequently when I go to exercise Finn, we go to a park which has a lake in it so I can throw the ball in the water and he can swim and bring it back to me. And we have great fun, me throwing the ball and him retrieving it. But Finn's a little bit too clever for his own good. Finn has discovered that if he stands on the bank, he can push the ball down the bank with his nose, and then he can chase after it himself. Basically, he's taught himself to play fetch on his own. But I wonder what happens to me when Finn does this. I get bored and cold, and so I go home. And because of that, Finn follows along, and he doesn't get to play anymore. So there's a warning tale for us all here that when we don't give, engage in the game of gift-giving, we potentially lose out. So the invitation that God gives to us is for us to enter into the cycle of reciprocity that he is going on. That if we grasp the gift that he has given to us in Jesus, that we will become transformed, and he transforms us so that we can play the game of gift-giving better. And so what we see is that it changes the very way in which we think about the world. It's not that we try to work ourselves to being better at the game. Instead, we learn to imitate God as he gives us a gift and allow it transform us, and we serve God out of returning that gift to other people. We are changed by the good news of what Christ Jesus has done in us, and we enter into a new way of seeing the world and we start giving gifts as God encourages us to. And over time, we enter into these deeper, joy-filled relationships with other people. What we discover is that as we give ourselves away, as God gives to us, we end up with more as community and people. We develop relationships that are deep and rich, and we live in a world where we are in tune with what God is doing. And so God invites us to come and join that vision of his creation. A vision in which he is constantly pouring out into the community that he has formed so that they can share the gifts among themselves and spread them to a world that needs to hear of this gift-giving God.
So a few practical things that you can think about during the week. The first, one, first question we need to ask ourselves, are we receiving the gifts that God is trying to give to us? And so for some of us, this means that we need to consider whether we've accepted God's big gift to us in Jesus. Are we going to enter for the first time into that cycle of reciprocity by asking Jesus to come in and to save us from the dying world in which we live and to become king over our life and reorder us so that we can live as part of his kingdom? And for some of us, that means that we need to check that we are still receiving the other gifts that God is giving to us constantly. There's a streak of independence that runs in our Western world, and particularly in the North American culture of people who've moved here and made their own lives, which urges us to make it on our own. An idea of the successful person as being someone who's self-made. But what we've noted is that there is nothing that we have that God didn't initially give us. We didn't start with anything. Everything began with gift. And so we need to occasionally check that we are receiving the gifts that God has given us. We're not trying to live our life at such a quick pace that we aren't slowing down to the many channels which God might be attempting to give us gifts. And then having checked our hearts about whether we're receiving God's gifts, we maybe want to think about whether we're taking time to be thankful to God for the gifts he gives us. God's gift giving invites us to join his family. It's an expression of his love for us. And so we probably want to consider whether we're being joyful and thankful for that membership in his family. And that means that occasionally we need to slow down and just take account of our situation and what the blessings are that we have received from God. And lastly, and perhaps most difficultly for us, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we passing on the particular gifts that God has put in our lives? We have all received talents and skills. We've all received resources. We've all received time from God. None of us started with these things. And so we need to ask that case, are we correctly giving back as God would wish? This requires that we slow down enough to know what we have to offer to others. And then we create situations in which we can pass the gifts that we have on to others. We could imagine ourselves as playing a huge community ball game in which we all have balls and we're just tossing them backwards and forwards to each other and to people outside the church. And there's a constant supply of new balls coming from God as he passes them into us. And it would be great to role play that, but way too chaotic. <laughs> but that is where what Paul is talking about in talking about God giving gifts to us so that we can give gifts to others really touches the edge of our mission, really touches the edge of our community life and is transformed by that life entering into us. That question of are we returning the gifts that have been given to us? Are we giving back to God and are we passing on to others so that we can all have more and all benefit from the relationship they have with each other? And what Paul sees as he plants these little churches around the Mediterranean is communities that are grasped by this vision of reality where we're all passing on the gifts that we've been given. And he believes that, that force 
will change the very way creation works when Jesus finally returns and gathers all those gifts together um, to speak of the strong relationships that have been formed which are bring happiness and joy and express the love of God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are grateful that you draw close to us and that you decided to initiate relationship with us by giving us the gift of your son, Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to receive that gift. You would help us to be joyful and thankful and that you would help us to be changed by that gift so that we would see ourselves as people who have gifts to offer to others. Help us to gain that sense of what you've given us that we can pass on. And help us to become people who take the opportunity, the brave steps to offer ourselves to other people in ways that seem crazy according to the, the world in which we live, where we're, where we're scared and frightened, and we want to hold on to things for our safety. But instead, let us be changed by the way in which you gift us and you continue to pour into us despite what we give away. We ask that vision of creation, vision of the way that we can live together in community, would grasp us and change us and draw us deeper into the love of Jesus and the life of the Trinity that desires to spend eternity with us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.